0: If you are still trying to be out there doing LLCs for the average entrepreneur, for the average person starting the restaurant down the street, your business dried up a long time ago. You better learn to adapt.
1: That's Eric Farber, founder and CEO of Creators Legal.
0: This is the future. There's no question. And there's enough out there for everybody, so to speak. But I think anybody who's still in law practice in the transactional, in divorce, in litigation, whatever they are, they better be watching the things that are coming down the pike because it's coming down faster than ever.
1: I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of CRISP, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory, crisp started which is $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond, to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Eric Farber to discuss the democratization of legal services and its impact on access to justice, how to gain authority in an attention-based marketplace, and the imminent rise of the creator's economy.
0: The walls of distribution have changed. The tools to actually create professional quality stuff has changed drastically. Combine those two things together with a whole lot of talented people, and that's the creator economy.
1: That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Eric, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So for the people listening, so you were on the podcast back in episode 54. This was was two years ago, and we were talking about the time the book you'd released, The Case for Culture. Obviously, you're a founder of phenomenal law firm, Pacific Workers. But I'm curious, since that time, a lot has taken place over the last two years. What have you been up to?
0: I untethered from my office, that's for sure. I haven't been there in a year and a half, although I still pay rent. And I've been building. I've been building my next venture, a Creators Legal, which you have been an advisor on for the last couple of years. And I've really... D- dove into alternative legal services, access to justice, legal tech, to build creators legal, match up with the creator economy, as they call it.
1: Of course, we're going to dive into creators just to give people listening context. Let's say they didn't listen to the first episode you were on. If you can just give some background in terms of you know some of the work you've done, kind of what led you here.
0: Been a lawyer for a long time, as you know. I started out as a sports and entertainment lawyer for a really long time, which morphed into representing athletes in their Injuries, which grew to become Pacific Workers, a very large workers' compensation law firm based in in Northern California, grew from four people to it's now about 80 people in six offices and wrote a book on how we grew that through culture and called the case for culture. And then I kind of stepped aside in many ways, handed it over to my partner so I could pursue an idea that I had and I've had for over 10 years the creators legal which is essentially legal tech for the entertainment business
1: so Eric just to give people some context what does creators legal do
0: creators legal is a legal tech platform legal zoom for the creator industry online legal without lawyers for contracts and contract management filmmakers musicians podcasters digital content creators designers artists etc We're all kind of coming into the site, getting super simple, fast contracts, affordable to do their productions.
1: How did this come about? Because obviously LegalZoom already existed, right? So why would, you know, why create a more like specialized platform like this?
0: I was in the entertainment business for a very long time. I worked with one of the agencies. I was a lawyer for artists and entertainers. I worked at a production company at Sony Pictures for a very long time. I saw this basic challenge that the larger people in the industry obviously have their lawyers that are dealing with the studio type of stuff, the independent film stuff, the independent musicians, the independent authors, which I represented for many years, they didn't have that. And a lot of the stuff that they were working on, a lot of the projects that they're working on kind of went without contracts. They'd come to me sort of after the fact. And I saw this huge gap in legal in the industry to be able to get these things very easily. It was something I started thinking about a very long time ago. I saw LegalZoom. LegalZoom started to change the way people consume legal services. 95% of people who need a lawyer in America can't afford one. LegalZoom, Rocket Lawyer, all these different platforms fill that void, and we're starting to see it come about in so many different areas. Hello Divorce for divorces, Trust and Will is starting to go after the online estate planning. LegalZoom And some of these other generalist platforms cover these, but they don't cover them in a specialized way. Mm -hmm. It's the difference between going to the generalist and going to the specialist. And we're starting to see, thank goodness, consumers in America and around the world have access to legal services in a different way. The legal profession itself, with the exception of sort of the plaintiff's bar, has not been able to figure out a way to serve consumers with legal services. They're too expensive. The average American has one and a half hours in their savings of the average lawyer in America. It doesn't mean they don't still need legal in some way. So small brands, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, this gives them the opportunity to have access to the types of contracts that... You would have to be paying, you know, the the Century City lawyer or the Manhattan, you know, the Manhattan lawyer or the Nashville lawyer if you're, you know, in the music business. Yeah. It really is the democratization of legal services
1: and it's access to justice. And when when you talk about just who some of the creators are, right, because in in many ways you're helping them to be able to grow and monetize their business, right? They're having, you know, the right legal solutions. Who are some of these creators? I know you mentioned like content creators, podcasters, like, just a lot of it is like even like solopreneurs.
0: There's been a lot of different people that have been, that have come in. We're a typical tech startup and it's fun for me because I feel like it's my first company again, when I was sort of 25 and really hitting the streets and talking to, to our users. We've already got about 1,500 paid users, We've got about 3,000 people who've signed up for the service. And they're all over the place. We have everybody from graphic designers to web developers to podcasters to filmmakers. We're in a couple of universities in, in there to promote our educational program. So we have a special deal for filmmakers and student filmmakers. They're all over the place. Everybody's a creator now. If you own a small business, you're a creator. If you're a small business and you want to get an influencer, you have somebody that you need to do the TikTok videos, you have a brand deal that you can go get. Or you're a creator that gets a brand deal, you can go grab them. The creative industry is so prolific. And I actually have stopped calling it the creator economy and moved to calling it the passion economy. People are becoming untethered from their cubicle. People are becoming untethered from sort of that grind style of work and moving towards, I'm a guitarist and it's time for me to earn my money as a guitarist. Mm -hmm. The beauty of the, quote, the creator economy or the passion economy is the fact that people can now distribute in a way they never could before. We're doing this podcast and you've got this great microphone in front of you and the sound the platform that we're recording on, the cameras, all my stuff has come with my computer. 20 years ago, this was a rental from AZ Rentals, and there were only yep. a couple of places you know, that you could actually even rent this quality of equipment for. So the tools themselves have become really inexpensive to be able to do this stuff. And then the distribution It's not like you've had to go to a distributor and say, well, here's a pilot of the game-changing attorney. Will you distribute it? You just grab yourself an Apple account and start uploading the podcast. Yeah. The walls of distribution have changed. The tools to actually create professional quality stuff has changed drastically. Combine those two things together with a whole lot of talented people, and that's the creator economy.
1: And it's really kind of a, a conversation around not just how content is being consumed, but how oh, how yeah. people are being influenced nowadays, right? So you look at platforms that I know some people would talk about like TikTok. There's over a billion videos that are watched every day on TikTok and there's four million new videos uploaded every day to YouTube. And I'm curious if you could give like a specific example in the case of like Creators Legal. Let's say you're a creator on a platform like that. Let's say you're you know, you're an influencer. How would you leverage Creators Legal?
0: This is important stuff when it comes to the copyright. You've gotta make sure as a content creator, in any facet, in any influence they are doing this in, whether it's music, whether it's books, whether it's podcasting, you've gotta own that copyright. And that's why we've been able to serve so many people. They need to be able to create contracts with all the people that go into the production itself, whether that's a company that they own or they own it individually. There's a lot of terms and conditions. We hear a lot of talk in politics about this stuff, right on Capitol Hill, about the terms and conditions of the big major platforms, whether it's YouTube or TikTok, where you go on there and you have to click and say, Yes, I own the, all of this copyright to be able to actually do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You can't own all the copyright unless you have a contract with everybody who's touched the end product that you're creating. And that's where you get your ownership and that's where you can monetize. Yeah. And that's a really important piece. I was an entertainment lawyer for a long time. As you know, I did some productions with several different clients. And one of them was, uh, I tell this story quite often because he was an extreme sports guy. We had dozens and dozens of hours of footage. He did wingsuit flying and we had dozens of hours of footage and somebody came along and said, Hey, I want to license this stuff. And he would go out all the time and he would, and he would fly to different places in the, in the world and he would do these great jumps and he had these cameramen that he worked with. Well, wingsuiting is a really, really dangerous sport. There's a really good chance that you're going to die if you're a wingsuiter. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gathering up all of the different contracts that we need to go ahead and license this footage. And then we get to his main cameraman that we got to get to sign off on all of this stuff And while we're trying to get him to sign it, he dies and his widow refuses to sign. Well, we can't figure out in these, it's probably about 150 hours of footage, which he was a part of and which he wasn't a part of, his widow is refusing to sign this release. To this day, the footage is still sitting on a shelf. Yeah, He can't do anything with it. Creators Legal solves that problem in advance you need a release. You need to make sure that you got the release from somebody. You go onto your phone, you pull it up, you get it signed. The whole thing's done in 10 minutes.
1: Now, I'm sure there's going to be people listening to this, let's say, you specifically if you're a contract lawyer and you're thinking, yeah, that sounds good, but I would not recommend that. Right? I would not recommend that to my clients because whatever kind of templates you're going to find on a platform like this, they're not going to work. You really need to get the intricacies right. Like, What, what would oh, yeah, you say to sure. that?
0: I would say that's exact same thing I used to tell people when I was a lawyer and they said I was just going to use LegalZoom to do my LLC. Then it became you know I'd say oh you don't want to use uh, you know LegalZoom to do your LLC it'll get all screwed up. And then it became go have LegalZoom do your LLC and I'll do your operating agreement. Then it became I'm too busy for that. Right? Just go to LegalZoom all of this stuff is just a matter of time i don't know any lawyers that still actually create llc's they're all done online this is do it yourself sure there's going to be more complex situations that require more complex contracts but for the vast majority of this stuff this is where it's at and this is what's happening across the board for legal services the average decent entertainment lawyer is probably 750 dollars an hour and up If you can afford to do that, great. I think that this is actually gonna be really helpful to a lot of lawyers out there who field a lot of phone calls who say, go to Creators Legal, I'm sure you can grab a contract there. Yeah.
1: But what if let's say someone's someone's listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, but I'm still worried. Like, so what's gonna happen to the lawyers that are relying primarily on this type of work that is largely transactional, let's say it tends to be higher volume, lower cost, and that work obviously goes by the wayside, what will they find themselves doing?
0: They'll have more time on their hands. It's an interesting way to put this, but if you are still trying to get it, be out there doing LLCs for the average entrepreneur, for the average person starting the restaurant down the street, your business dried up a long time ago. You better yeah. learn to adapt. And I think that I'm talking to a guy that truly understands that lawyers need to adapt. This is the future. Yeah. There's no question. And there's enough out there for everybody, so to speak. But I think anybody who's still in law practice, in the transactional, in divorce, in litigation, whatever they are, they better be watching the things that are coming down the pike because it's coming down faster than ever. In the last episode that we, were, that we did together, episode 54 of Game Changing Attorney, you and I talked about this stuff, right? That the pandemic, because it was right at the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. I believe, Yep. that we talked and you and I have talked about this stuff offline lots of times, is the pandemic accelerated the future of work. We got 20 years advanced, and now we've got tools that are coming out that that future of work is going to change for a lot of people very, very
1: quickly. And let's actually, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of the tools, because in terms of like, New tech, particularly AI, right? AI's role, and now you know at the time of this podcast, you, you ChatGPT has become very popularized. How do you think that's going to be leveraged by law firms, or how can it be leveraged either by law firms or even legal tech?
0: ChatGPT is very interesting. Sam Ullman is a is a true futurist, the founder of it. I've spent a lot of time on ChatGPT already and tried to understand it. It's certainly not perfect. And I don't expect it to be perfect. It's been out for, what, about three or four months. But, you know, give it a give it a, a little while. There's already several different legal tech platforms, especially in the contract side, that have already integrated ChatGPT into contract drafting. I think it's going to help lawyers, the ones that are doing stuff, by suggested clauses, by rewriting clauses, etc. But I also think it's going to change... The way we approach the work, I think there's a lot of consumers are going to use it to actually write contracts. We talked about operating agreements for LLCs. I just formed another company with my partner for legal outsourcing. I decided to go on to ChatGPT to try it out. I actually had ChatGPT write our operating agreement and I didn't have to change a word of it. I think lawyers have to recognize that we as a profession, are in the industry of writing. And if you're in the industry of writing, ChatGPT is going to change the way you operate. If you're a marketer and you haven't realized that you don't need to write blogs anymore, that ChatGPT can write a better blog for you than you can, then you're just living in the woods. The new jobs are not necessarily writing the contract. The new job is learning how to operate AI.
1: I had a... uh... A colleague of mine, Lior Weinstein, he actually, uh, he shared, I want to give him proper attribution. He said that, you know, you're not going to be replaced by AI, you're going to be replaced by a person using AI, right? And it's it's someone leveraging it appropriately. So it's interesting in the sense that I think sometimes people, you know, when they hear about AI chat GPT, they think, oh man, I'm going to be out of a job. But really, if you really dig into these platforms, if you use them, you have an opportunity to see that, wow, this is an opportunity to gain leverage, right? This is an opportunity to do things more efficiently. Now all my team members can have AI assistance and be able to work more effectively and more productively. I mean, I don't know that ChatGPT is a replacement for just being able to provide effective legal services, but at the same time, if what you can do can be solved with just one prompt, then maybe it is time to kind of reevaluate the value that you're providing. Yes,
0: that's no, that's absolutely right. Andrew Aruda was the founder of Ross AI. Ross AI was the first foray into artificial intelligence legal helping lawyers and law firms that are serve their clients. It was a very advanced system. They're being sued now by Wessel and Lexus. I had known about Ross AI. It came out. It wrote briefs. It did research. It was quite amazing. I was at the Avvo conference. I don't know if you remember this, but it was the Avvo conference. You gave away your first Tesla. Yep. 2017. Yep. Right. 2017. And Andrew Arruda was the final speaker at that AVO conference. And I had known about it. I knew who he was. He's an amazing guy. And I watched as he put stuff on the screen, I looked around me and watched all these lawyers with their mouths on the ground. And then Andrew's words out of his mouth was, we're not looking to replace your jobs. And I kind of looked at the guy next to me and I said, that's exactly what they're doing. But it's our job as lawyers as leaders to figure out what's left for you to do the ones that sit around and ignore what's happening they're the ones out of a job the ones who are ready to adapt and to think and to embrace it they're the ones who are going to grow bigger than ever
1: And how would you differentiate this from, it seems like not so long ago, everyone was talking about web three, right? And how like everything was changing there. And they were talking about NFTs and I'm not going to get into like the utility of them and whether that, whether we all should have uh, bought, you know, board apes or not, but this, this feels different. This seems like this is going to be here to stay.
0: Oh yeah. There's no question. I mean, look, NFTs have their utility, all of these different things. If you can explain to me what web three is great. And maybe I'll understand it. I didn't understand what Bitcoin was in 2011 when it was first introduced to me. This is different because we've seen a lot of different AI slowly creep into our work already, right? If you're using any type of case management system, the automatic filling of documents based on data entry that you've already put in, that's AI in many ways. That's the automation, you know, it's workflow automation. We've seen this stuff sort of slowly advance, right? When I started in practice, it sounds crazy because it wasn't that long ago, but when I started in practice filling out the forms in California for the judicial forms, you were really advanced if you had figured out how to stick the disk into your computer to get it to do it on, a, on PDF. But outside of that, most of the people were still taking these things and copying them and sticking them into a typewriter. Yep. All of these things are the advancement. ChatGPT is our next level. All of these things are just the next level. And ChatGPT, well, let's just call it AI or generative, you know, writing AI. Yep. This stuff's here to stay. This isn't going anywhere. NFTs, you did very well on them if you went and bought Gary V's v Friends early on. Made a lot of people a lot of money. I'm sure there's a lot of people screaming now. But all of this stuff is coming down the pike. It's the efficiency and future of work. I'm really fascinated by this, and I've been watching this for a long time. The undersecretary of commerce under Obama wrote a book on this several years ago called The Future of Work, talking about the Toyota's healthcare robots. When I started the workers' comp firm, I wanted to figure out what are the jobs that are still going to be around in 20 years from now? Firefighting, security, police, healthcare. And then I'm reading this book that I read five years ago that's talking about the fourth generation of healthcare robots that Toyota built to replace the fact that Japan doesn't have enough people to take care of its elderly. It helps you bathe, it tells you jokes, makes you food, and gives you your medications. We as Americans, and North Americans, we hate this stuff. It took the pandemic to replace the toll booth operators at the Bay Bridge, where I live in the Bay Area. We don't want this advancement, but it's coming whether we want it or not.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes when people think about AI, they go straight to like the you know Terminator, Skynet, that kind of model of just an actual AGI kind of AI, but that's not really what this is. And, it, and the reality of it is, if anything, we used to think years ago that it would be like the blue-collar jobs that would be replaced first, right? Not the so-called white-collar ones, but we're now yeah. seeing maybe that's going to be the other way around because as it turns out, it's a lot easier from an AI component to be able to train someone on doing certain roles that will say, more white-collar than to actually build a robot to just be paving drywall, right? And, like, and be roofing and things like that. There's a lot more complexity associated with that. So it's like the white-collar jobs would go first. But this probably also, to an extent, it's not a bad thing, Humans are, you know, we're an interesting species in the sense that we're, I think we're the only species that we use and can leverage other people's brains, right? To ultimately create great outcomes. You don't see this happening in like animals and things like that. And the idea is that we would move to more leverageable work, more specialized work, but things that like we were talking about even at the start of this podcast, like just creating an LLC, like just drafting basic legal document, those types of things is that really the highest and best use of your time? Or could you be perhaps focusing more on like strategy, innovation, like really moving things forward? So I see a lot of positives with it, but I understand also at the same time, anytime there's any discussion of change that makes people uncomfortable.
0: There's no question about it. I mean, I actually read this years ago that lawyers and real estate agents were the last to accept technology. And that's not surprising. I mean, we were the first in our industry in California to use electronic signatures. We were the first ones to literally go to the workers' comp board and say, is it okay that we use electronic signatures? It advanced our ability to sign up clients. Overnight, we went from a 50% sign-up rate to 95% using DocuSign. We we're the only ones who did it all the way up until the pandemic when the court announced to everybody else it was okay. We're just really slow at doing this because... Emily your producer and I were talking about the fact that lawyer advertising which has given you life and given me life that wasn't that long ago. Lawyers were sitting around going that we're that's beneath us to advertise. Yeah. We're not like other areas of of the law. How many lawyers advertise still to this day? Right? They've had the ability to do it for the last 50 years. But Maybe 5% of lawyers. I read it a few years ago that it was less than 5% of lawyers. And of that 5%, only 1% spend more than like $5,000 a year. Yeah. This has been an opportunity for lawyers for years, but we don't accept the opportunities that are presented in front of us. As an industry, we don't really accept these opportunities. Now, there's not just an opportunity to make your practice more efficient to focus in a different way. But if you don't, you're going to get your lunch eaten.
1: So why do you think that is? I mean, particularly, let's say in the legal profession, why is it that just in general, prior to now, the people are not quick to evolve and pivot, we generally have not seen as much innovation. we start to certainly see much more now, but just why is that?
0: We're old and tired in our ways. I think that's just at the core of who we are. We're cautious people. And that's what's allowed some really amazing people. You've had Morgan on your show a couple of times. It allows these dursts of innovation for most lawyers have allowed forward-thinking people to really take advantage of this stuff. I can't answer why completely we're so bad at this, but that's where the opportunity is for the people who are going to be forward-thinking. I had some tech guys over for Super Bowl, and within a week of ChatGPT coming out, they've already built a product that they're about to go out there and sell. Why? Because in tech, the whole purpose is to recognize new innovation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm glad that there's so many good cloud-based services that are out there, the Cleos of the world, and there's a lot of other really great ones, but the Clios of the world are out there helping lawyers recognize that they can get more done with less yeah they say every company is a hospitality company yes but every company is a technology company from day one at pacific workers when we started it i said whatever issues we have whether it's from customer service to fighting the case all our wars will be won with technology and lawyers have got to explore what's out there to be able to help them yeah chat gpt is just one of those tools that will quickly be part of what we're doing and it will change marketing i'm already seeing the videos and the and the commentary about how this is going to change seo and i'm not sure i completely understand it but uh, we know that it's going to happen because search is going to change
1: and then what we're seeing is you know search engines will likely or potentially turn into answer engines. I mean, we're already s- yes. seeing this with Google, right? When you, when you type in a search query, you're going to see that a lot of the responses are there. The answers are already there. They're through drop downs, and you don't have to go to the website. Microsoft buys ChatGPT, multi-billion dollar transaction, integrates that with Bing. Now you're going to type in some sort of search, you'll just get the answer there. I think anytime somebody says, well, this is now over entirely, I don't know that that's ever true, right? Like everything will still work. I think things will still have value. But what I hear is really in the sense that if you don't pivot and if you don't evolve in some way, that that old way of thinking is going by the wayside.
0: It's always been that way, right? I do remember the IBM daisy wheel printer. It doesn't work that way anymore. You're hard pressed to find a printer anywhere, anywhere, anyway. It's unnecessary. So if I was the inventor of the Daisy Wheel printer, my royalties are pretty much done, right? All this stuff evolves and it evolves quickly. The idea is recognize it, see it. I was talking to Bilal, my partner, you know, very well, uh, this morning and he said he went into Chat GPT and he said he asked the question to recommend a worker's compensation firm in Oakland, California. And he said, thank God we came up first from ChatGPT." gpt But this is the whole idea that we're becoming search. But I also remember being at your second Game Changer conference that Gary Vee was on stage and he said that search itself will change by virtue of answer anyway which is the Alexa. I think he was using Alexa as the example, but it was, hey, Alexa, I'm looking for a lawyer. And Alexa is not going to spew out 400,000 answers like Google would. It's going to spew out one. So your goal is to be everywhere all at once, right? We, You and I have used that term for a really long time, and then they came out with that movie this year, right? Yep. And uh, I said, oh, they stole our tagline for business. So you've got to be everywhere all at once. So Alexa, when it's doing its search and pulling back an answer, is giving one answer because you're either going to be the leader in your field, in your industry, in your local market or whichever market you're trying to hit, or you're down at the bottom. Yeah. It's basically like first place is a Cadillac, second place is a set of steak knives, third place you're fired
1: it's almost as if you have to be a creator because I want to shift the conversation to this in the sense of how are people influenced and whether we realize it or not. Like if you were actually asked, this is, you know, when you get back into the question of like attribution of like, why did somebody decide to reach out to your specific law office? And like, you know, if you ask them, Usually they either give you the wrong answer or they couldn't even tell you because they were influenced by so many things along the way, like in so many mediums and so many platforms and they saw a YouTube video and they saw a TikTok and they got an email and they did all these different things that many people don't even know why they do what they do. But I want to speak to that in the sense of the importance of creating content and, and gaining distribution and consumption to become an authority.
0: The world has been using influencers forever. I read about the gladiators in the Roman days that were actually influencers, right? They were the local influencers for companies. We base all our buying decisions on influence. We can stick with legal. People, if people out there have not read Cialdini's work about the science of persuasion and the science of influence, they need to read it because this is important stuff. But you were being influenced by the Google reviews. You are being influenced by the Yelp reviews even though you have no idea if every single person who left that review is totally insane. You're being influenced by this. The influencers themselves, it's very interesting. In fact, there's a guy on TikTok, a lawyer on TikTok, who does, I think, criminal DUI. I'm not sure where he's located, but he has very high production value. Really interesting stuff. And I saw this morning he was, where he's actually pushing out for I don't think it was legal zoom. I can't remember the, the legal service that he was pushing for. It might have been an insurance company like for car insurance. But there he is. I mean, he's, you know, he's got enough influence and he does he does a good enough job that he's pushing out for somebody else. You know, he's getting paid.
1: Yeah.
0: Whether it is it called micros, nanos, mediums, or the mass creators like Mr. Beast, Kim Kardashian, the people with millions of followers, they can pretty much push anything and they're getting paid a million dollars a post. Yeah. They're getting paid that much money. We're a society of following influencers. We've just given them a new way of coming to us. This is an amazing, amazing time for people who can create content and are good at it to gain a following and be able to influence. They can even get paid for their work these days where they weren't getting paid in a different way. And in fact, the creator economy of the passion economy one of the things that skipped over, because we think of just YouTube creators, one of the things that skipped over is, is we're buying, our buying influence, and Gen Z especially, will not buy something unless they know that somebody that they follow and that they respect has endorsed that product. So somebody can even have 10,000 followers, but if it's in a very specific niche, fishing lures, You know, we'll just take that niche. They can actually make a living doing that through affiliate marketing, through whatever it is. But we are a society of being influenced. It is highly ingrained in our culture. You can go back to old newspapers from the 1800s and you can see the wrestlers of their day who were some of the biggest celebrities out there pushing soap. Yeah. There's nothing new. There's never anything new, right? It may be new technology in serving us, but it isn't really new.
1: It was interesting seeing even fairly recently, like leading up to the Super Bowl, I think the cost of like a 30-second Super Bowl ad was around $7 million, something like that. And I think Mr. Beast commented on a tweet that was sharing that, and he said, that's crazy. If if anyone wants to reach 100 million people for less than 7 million, just let me know, right? Because I think almost every single video that he's putting out is reaching that many people.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) It's very interesting because... When I was growing up, there was like four channels on TV and then it started expanding and there's HBO and Showtime and all these other things. But there was a very centered water cooler culture of TV shows. Everybody watched the same stuff. We know of thousands of opportunities and thousands of outlets, distribution outlets to consume our media. So it's no surprise that we have far more influencers than we've ever had before. Mr. Beast is the first billion dollar influencer. Somebody offered him I think a billion dollars for his company and he turned it down and it was a smart move because it's worth a lot more than that because when he puts something out he's getting 25 million views. The other talk in the advertising community has been about Rihanna performing the halftime show for free. They also based on The amount of money that the commercials cost, $7 million a minute, Rihanna got $182 million worth of airtime. Her brand spiked by something like 18,000% online. She probably sold more that day than she's ever sold before. So she got $182 million to perform a free halftime show.
1: Now, I want to connect this so, so people are listening. Let's say their law firms are like, that's great about Rihanna and Mr. Beast. And you can look at you know all these influencers, but you're seeing this in legal as well. And, and we're seeing a lot yeah. of lawyers who've only been licensed for a few years that are becoming authoritative voices that are ultimately growing very successful law firms. And they're bringing in a ton of clients. And it's because they're commanding a lot of attention.
0: You just hit the nail on the head, right? And you've been talking about this ever since I've known you for eight, nine, ten years. Authority. Are you the authority in your local area? Are you the authority in your niche? There is a TikToker, a woman, I believe she's from Texas, immigration lawyer. She's all in pink. Everybody in her office is in pink. I bet she can't be practicing for more than two or three years. But I also bet that she signs more immigration clients than anybody else. Yep. Yeah. She's got, I won't try to guess, I'm pretty sure she's got at least seven seven figure following at this point. Yep. Unfortunately, it's not good enough to simply be a lawyer these days. You've got to be able to get in front of the camera or have somebody get in front of the camera or find the right ad agency who can create video for you to put you out, to make you the authority in your marketplace. It's just the way it goes. There's a lot of people out there who are going to do really, really well because that's the age that we're living in.
1: And let's dive deeper into that because someone listening might think, okay, so what do I do now? Do I do those TikTok dances? What do I need to do to get followers, to get people to like, like you know, like and comment on my posts? And then let's say they do it for a while and they're like, well, maybe I'm not getting cases from it. And I think sometimes people are missing missing the point of that, right? Of yeah. ultimately what is happening here and what is taking place. In building authority, right, you have to build some sort of connection with people. They have to be able to see that okay this is a human being that you have to differentiate because you know legal like many other professional service businesses is becoming heavily commoditized so in many ways you're decommoditized so like the person you mentioned i think her name is kathleen martinez right so she's the one on uh, on on tiktok and someone may have if they had a thought one day and they said you know what i need an immigration lawyer they wouldn't even know who to call right like they don't have one in mind if they did know who to call maybe they saw someone on a billboard or they'd start typing into a google search or they start looking at reviews but Nowadays, they're scrolling through TikTok, right? And in their mind, they already know who to call.
0: The thing about TikTok and Pinterest and various other platforms, these are search engines. TikTok is a search engine. You can go searching and a lot of people do. YouTube, why is it so big? Because it's owned by Google. And that is more of a search engine than anything else. What's the playbook? The playbook is is authenticity. I don't care what you're hitting. It's authenticity. I am not going to be doing TikTok dances. I'm not going to be doing the latest trend. I'm just going to go answer questions. If you want to know what you should be talking about in your niche for Fort Lauderdale, Florida, making stuff up, I would go in and say, what's the most important things for somebody to know? What are your frequently asked questions that are on your website? Go take the first five. Go grab Big View, the cloud-based teleprompter for free. Go type out a quick script. Use ChatGPT if you want. I can do it for you know, a, few, a few seconds. And create those, turn on your camera and start recording. And upload them. I mean, that's it, right? You probably want to do a little bit of production value, but the more authentic, the better. Authenticity resonates with an audience better than anything. I watch a lot of this stuff. I, I am admittedly become terribly addicted to TikTok. It started as research and just became an addiction. But the people who are just purely authentic in the way they talk, those are the people who are getting the followings, and they're the ones who are going to... Be the authorities. Yeah. That's it. You want to do something? Post once a week. Get it to twice a week. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things. So you're not going to go on the diet and go from McDonald's six times a week to zero, right? You're not going cold turkey. This is tough stuff. Creating is not easy, and we know why people get rewarded for it. But start learning the platforms. Start looking at the. Basic frequently asked questions. That's the easiest way to get started, right? Is to answer questions. And that's where you want to get going. Podcasting, on the other hand, I think is probably the easiest of all of them to get started. And you can take those podcasts that you're doing, do them on video. You and I are using Riverside right now. I use Riverside as well. They've got a great platform, they have a free version as well. All of these, almost all of these tools that you can use have free versions to get started and get a podcast out there. You could take that podcast, you can cut that video up, you can post onto YouTube, you can post onto TikTok, you can post on Instagram. I would choose one platform to start and get as good as you can on that platform because it's not easy, but choose one platform. They all have their different nuances to them. LinkedIn is a great place LinkedIn is pushing video, more than anything, into their algorithm right now. And um, let's say you're a transactional lawyer in the veterinary industry. You're a transactional lawyer doing M&A in the medical industry. That is one that your followers want to hear from you. You probably already got followers and connections. Go to LinkedIn, go and start putting video on LinkedIn. Less than 1% of people who have LinkedIn accounts are even active on LinkedIn. And it's like a tenth of a percent is posting video. And LinkedIn is currently pushing video in their algorithm. So you're going to get seen. And the beauty of it is, is you've already got the followers in LinkedIn. You're trying to build a following in TikTok where it's consumers rather than the type of people that you're trying to reach. Choose your niche, understand your niche, choose some frequently asked questions and go after the the easiest place but post video as much as you can.
1: I'll illustrate this even with a story to support your point. So I I won't name who it is because they're still kind of undergoing this deal. But essentially we had a guest that was on this podcast. We post a lot of like the video clips on various social media platforms. So like Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. And he had essentially a big wig of Hollywood reach out to him. And this is somebody that you could not get a hold of this person if you tried. Like literally, you could have you could have send this person Super Bowl tickets. You can send them gifts. You can send them briefcases with you know with cash. Like you, you never get a hold of them. In fact, I had another colleague who's like won multiple Emmys and this award-winning director. He's like, I've spent 20 years. I haven't been able to get a hold of the person. And he had this gentleman reach out to him. And now they're in talks on doing like this HBO series, this HBO documentary series. And when he asked him, he's like, Well, how'd you get this person in Hollywood to get a hold of you? Like, how did they they reached out to him? And it's because they saw his TikTok video. Like you you never know who's watching. That's the idea behind it. And of course, the distribution matters. And of course, the content matters and like all these things. But at the end of the day, there's the saying, right? You're either at the table or on the menu. So those yes. that are absent from this conversation, whether it's you know creators that are not creating, or whether it's people that are not leveraging you know legal tech, they're not leveraging AI, all of these different things. Start using these things, and more importantly, I'd say start looking at them as this is how I can gain leverage. Here's some where opportunities Absolutely. are as a, as opposed to approaching them with like this is going to kill my business, and I'm going to be terrified of this thing, and this is a bad thing. Because whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, there is going to be people out there that are going to be the forward thinking ones that are going to start leveraging it.
0: No question. A quick, similar story. When I started Creators Legal, I really kind of wrote down, okay, who are the people that I'm going to ask to invest, et cetera. And one of my really good friends who I worked at the agency with in the mailroom, I hadn't talked to in like 20 years and became one of these huge Hollywood moguls. And I was invited by Creator Magazine to do a LinkedIn event. And I look and they didn't promote it very well But it was promoted well enough that there were, you know, maybe 15 people in the total thing. And I looked down and there is my old friend who said, this is a great idea. Get in touch and texted me. I hadn't talked to him in years, right? And you never know who's going to sort of be in the room, watch the TikTok, be on the LinkedIn event, be in the Twitter spaces. There are so many opportunities for people to jump in. You no longer have to be discovered by Hollywood. You can create your own.
1: And Eric, as we come to a close, because we'll have to do this again. This has been part two. We'll have to do a part three. But as yeah, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you?
0: I think it's everything that we've been talking about so far in this part two. It is the fact that that you are seeing around corners. You're trying to adapt and accept the future and not fight it. That's being a game changer.
1: I want to give a huge thank you to Eric Farber for taking the time to speak with us today. And I want to thank you, yes, you, for listening to this podcast and for your commitment to growing as a leader. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on our interview with Eric Farber, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com.